Hey everybody, what's up? Hello, hello. We've got Vavor Strategy here. And this is the first RTS Masterminds podcast. Now, what is the RTS Masterminds podcast? This is something we will do every month from now on, or we'll strive to at least. And we'll be discussing all things RTS. Uh, today's topic is going to be uh, sort of about single player versus multiplayer in RTS games. Uh, not necessarily in a strict either or sense, but um, about how you as a developer should think of this topic. How do you balance the two uh, versus each other? Um, now, Wayward, before we go too deep into that discussion, uh, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hi, my name's Brandon, but I go by Wayward Strategy. I'm uh, a game designer. I've been doing it actually for, for a couple of years now, which is pretty cool. Um, but I'm the lead game designer on Warpause and Tempest Rising, and I've got a uh, blog, Wayward Strategy, that I have been running since like 2013, 2014. Um, so it's probably all the introduction I need. I don't want to keep <laughs> going on about stuff. Um, yeah, I'm excited to, to do this. Uh, I think there's some, a good space in the, the RTS, um, there's a good space in, in RTS for people to talk about these sorts of design, um, topics. And I think, I think it's good for, um, for us to be able to sit down and hash some of this stuff out together. Yeah, for so. sure. I, I think I think many many people um, actually talk about this topic a lot. I've seen certainly on Reddit that's the case. Um, I'll quickly introduce myself as well for those who uh, haven't been around uh, my channel. Uh, I'm Nakamura, violent in real life. Um, I'm a I'm, I'm the lead designer at uh, Grimlord Games uh, on the systems team. That is um, working on an ARPG now, but in the past I worked on uh, Total War Warhammer Two and Three as well as on Halo Wars 2 and Age of Mythology. So, yeah, lots of RTS in the background there. That's what I do for, for fun, too. So, <laughs> um, not working on RTS in my free time, but rather uh, playing competitively, casting, hosting tournaments. Uh, so, that's what my personal channel is about. And Wayward has a personal channel as well, so you guys should absolutely go and check it out. Uh, not just his blog. Uh, do both. All of it. Yeah, my... um. I do really enjoy competitive commentaries, and for the last th two two years, I guess I did a lot. Um, I've slowed down quite a lot because of my my work on uh, Tempest and Warpaws, but I'm still hoping to try to do at least a couple a month. Yeah, um, of course, man. You're you're busy. That... You're busy. That's <laughs> cool. But what <laughs> have you I been playing balance. lately? Um, well, I can't talk too much about the specifics of what I've been playing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been doing a lot of internal testing um, oh. on our games, um, primarily. A lot, it's like where all my like videos, I've been doing internal videos for, for the, the oh, wow. level design team. Um, yeah, so it's actually kind of cool. I think I can talk about this. Um, when we look at a level... Um, we'll often do a, like a video playthrough, and the the level designers really liked that, so we kind of kept kept doing that. Um, but yeah, like all all of my creative stuff is going right into Tempest and Warpaws right now, uh, which is which is awesome. I'm loving it, but that's um... awesome. Wayward <laughs> uh, is a is a father, so you'll appreciate these situations. Um, yeah, I, I I've been um, 
actually not playing all that much. So I, I'm like you, um, trying to combine um, everything together to make my time the most efficient. So most of my gaming time actually goes into like tournament hosting. So I, I haven't been playing as much and I'm mostly actually doing casts <laughs> instead. Uh, but, but I think that that's, that's mostly fine. Yeah, and I, I've seen um, you guys with Metaplays kind of started the Halo Wars 2 stuff back up, right? Uh, well, it's been going, but um, honestly, the or, community mostly just does show matches, and we're really the people that do consistent tournaments all the time. And it's kind of the same thing in Age of Mythology. Um, um, whereas uh, in like Age of Empires 4, we're, we're small time <laughs> compared to what's out there, but yeah, we're trying, we're trying. The dilemma of this topic today um is that developers have limited resources they can only commit so much to either single player and or multiplayer you can't have everything basically is the case in almost every single game um now if you magically have a lot of budget and uh can pull off a starcraft 2 then great um but honestly, not many people even attempt that uh, because there's no budget, right? So a lot of studios would take a lot of time to get this done. Um, how do you you see, Wayward, the 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 problem um, of this topic? Yeah. So Did I you think add you've, anything? I think you've outlined it really well. Uh, we've seen a lot of indie studios. We've actually seen a lot of studios try both things. Um, Empires Apart, I see Chenless in the chat, so he's going to get his little dagger in the heart there. Empires Apart tried to, to start out doing multiplayer focus, and then over time, I think their plan was to, to incorporate more single-player content, and that sadly didn't go too well for them. Um, I think, in my perspective, with a limited budget, um, the safest bet is to focus primarily on single-player um, you know, we've seen a lot of single-player first games do really well, and there's a big space out in the, I think, in the RTS community for really good, like uh, Five Nations, I think, is still single-player only, isn't it? Um, I believe so, yeah. And we've got the the whole kind of sub-genre created by, or popularized, I guess, probably safer to say, by They Are Billions and... and um, all of those sorts of like repeatable single player experiences and Frostpunk, um, you know, if not entirely, at least primarily single player. So I think there's a lot of a lot of room to create these kind of skill based, intense, um, single player focused games. And you know, it, it kind of hurts sometimes seeing these really cool ideas um, kind of hamstring themselves trying to focus a lot on multiplayer. Um, yeah, but, and, you yeah. know, it's not so far away even when you when you look at uh, turn-based art, uh, strategy games. So let's say you look at Total War, uh, which is obviously a lot of what I've done in my career. Uh, it, it's largely speaking focusing on, on that campaign content. It's, okay, it's not an RTS, right? Like the campaign layer is turn-based strategy, but then you do have that real-time component with the tactical battles. Um, anyways. It's mostly not about the multiplayer. Uh, and you know what? A statistic that always kept cropping up across my career, whether it's Age of Mythology, whether it's Halo Wars, whether it's Total War, 
always around the same uh, 15 to 20% of players engage in the multiplayer. Now, what does engage mean? It means they get in there, they play a game, um, and then they might or might not return. Uh, now, the bounce rate is widely different, but yeah, we're talking about 80% of the audience caring about just a single player. That is the business argument that uh, you're making, that it's the safe bet to um, to actually go for a single player core component first. Honestly, it, it kills me to say that because I love multiplayer. I love going in and doing ladder and um, all of all of that stuff. But you know, when you're looking at the reality, like I've I've heard, I think anecdotally, even StarCraft, it's it's a pretty small percentage of all the players who've ever you know purchased or installed the game will jump onto any form of multiplayer. Um, I'm pretty sure that the Frost Giant guys actually confirmed that statistic as well for StarCraft, right? It was around 20% as well there. I I think so. Yeah, I like to hedge my bets if I'm not 100% sure. Um, Yeah, don't quote me on the number uh, for them. but (laughs) I I think it was similar for them as well. Um, But... Now, putting that aside, in in their case, what they've really uh, doubled down on is, um, you know, they they keep pointing out how co-op is actually the mode which which brought in a lot of players when it comes to the multiplayer environment. So there are different types of multiplayer to consider. And I I think when people start talking about multiplayer, it's very important to differentiate what you're talking about because it could be... Uh, that you're considering your campaign co-op, just playing together the story mode together, uh, that could be considered a form of multiplayer. In case of StarCraft, co-op means that these are specific repeatable experiences, you've also mentioned this before, uh, that you play through as a group, and then you do it again and again, and you have some form of progression uh, that rewards you for doing this and doing well in it. We've seen the same sort of thing time and again. I'm dating myself here a little bit, but um, with Dawn of War 2, their uh, last stand mode was so popular. They, I think that was the last couple of content updates they released was for the last stand, and they created a standalone version of it um, because the you know kind of four versus AI wave thing ended up being really popular for them. Um, and End of Nations, uh, they had something similar with a four-player uh, co-op sort of scenario versus the AI, and that was, during the alphas and beta, was one of their more popular gameplay modes as well. So clearly there's some something to this whole <laughs> co-op versus AI model that um, right now when people think of it, I think they, they go right to StarCraft Two. but there's a lot of different examples out there of that sort of thing. Um, and they've all been well. I didn't. Age of Empires Online have something like that too, actually. Ah, uh, that's a good I question. I think uh, they did. The thing with the Age of Empires series is that they have this whole custom scenario group, uh, which is actually very prevalent in Warcraft Three as well, <laughs> and and that's kind of resulted in the whole uh, MOBA thing happening. Uh, so you know you, you can't discount the power of that either. That's uh, that can be PvP. That can be PVE. It's whatever people make uh, with whatever tools. Yeah, and are actually, the um, kind of the counterpoints to what we've been saying. Um, but I, I think, I think um, 
these might be exceptions that prove the rule. But you do see some multiplayer first experiences doing pretty well. Uh, like Minion Masters. Um, I, I think it's like the second, third, or maybe even fourth game that that uh, Beta was it Beta Dwarf, I think, created. But they actually did really well with it. And they, they've expanded it. And they actually later, I think, added like a single player journey mode to it. But I mean, it's, it's multiplayer only. Uh, they've expanded to console and, and it actually, you know, it's a fun little game and I, I played it for a little while. Um, but, you know, you've, you've got all these, like, in mobile games, of course, they're all pretty much, all the popular ones are, are multiplayer first. Um, so I, I get the the desire to try to do that. Um, absolutely. And I don't know. It's it's hard for me because I think I already said this, and I'm just going to repeat myself because I guess I'm that doddering old man. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I there's a lot of people out there that that you know, not just me, but a lot of people out there, and I think you too. You know, there's this this drive, there's this desire to have these good multiplayer RTS experiences. Um, and I'm not sure what the cutoff is because, like uh, Ancestors Legacy has multiplayer, but I don't know hardly anybody that, that has ever played it. Mm. Um, the Valiant came out uh, to HQ Nordic uh, the, what is it, the end of 2022, I think. Um, multiplayer dried up really, really quick in that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the point of this whole discussion, right, is like what's the cutoff, what's the boundary? Um, you know, where are the lines that, that a developer can draw uh, and that's that's the hard part. That's the the tricky bit of the whole thing is is you know how to incorporate some sort of multiplayer that that can be self sustaining because we've seen a lot of small and medium sized RTS try it and it it it's got a very low success rate sadly. Yeah, it, it's very difficult to actually keep the players uh, around if you're dropping below a critical threshold. Uh, people get frustrated when when you have matchmaking times that don't match their preferences in their other AAA games that they could be playing. Uh, if, if you drop drop into some kind of shooter and you're going to get a matchmaking time of two to three minutes, uh, you're probably going to think it's dead. And then you do it in an RTS game, and you, you know, like you go and watch some Age of Empires four streams, be security. He's going to have. 10-minute wait times, because he's just that far above everybody. Um, the guy makes a living off of streaming content like this, uh, but he has to wait, and he has to fill those breaks. He's playing chess. Uh, I mean, literally, he's playing chess while he's waiting for games. That's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's wild. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, the reason I'm talking about content. Content is so easy when you base it off of multiplayer games. Like, you and I do this. We take a replay from our community and we talk about what's happening in the game. That is the core of our YouTube channels. And there's so many people that do this. And it's such a good way to popularize a game because if you can build a culture for a community that maintains itself uh, with something like that, these guys are going to entertain themselves for a very, very long time. And you just need to put in the absolute minimum work uh, to make it happen, but what's not minimal is to make the whole thing happen in the first place. So do you think that's the cutoff? Like, if you 
think you can do multiplayer, but you're not sure about a replay system, or at least in a, some sort of observer mode, like if you are going to commit to multiplayer, you've got to commit to that. Yes. I think that's that's probably a good minimum cutoff because I think you're you're right. Um, these sorts of things can can help extend and like bolster up a community if you see people out there like I'm going to do videos, I'm going to do commentaries. You, you know, you, you've got the or even just for a player to because I, I see people ask this on discords too um, for the the different games. You know, every game has a discord now. Um, <laughs> Going in and saying like, "Hey, where can I watch my my replays? Where can I go back and see like my my games and pro games and and improve myself?" That's usually one of the first questions somebody asks once they start playing multiplayer um, anymore. Yeah, for sure. So I I think it, it it's tough to get to that point where you do have the replays and the spectator mode. But honestly, if you're trying to do something multiplayer. Not only does it have to be there for content creation and uh, self-analysis, but also replays are so essential for bug reproduction. If I have a problem as a developer and I'm going to share that with the programmer, the best way to do it is for me to just grab the replay file and send it to them. And then they can just have that playback. It's reproduced. Uh, they're going to have whatever breakpoints they are looking for trigger. And um, they'll know what has happened exactly if if it's like a cold problem. That, yeah, no, that's a great that's a great point. That's a great point. If you don't um, have that, you're going to have to have someone reproduce your problem that they may not know how to do. Because uh, you as a designer are probably one of the people that plays the game the most outside of um, QA hammering the game, right? Um, yeah. And you can't expect that level of knowledge to everyone from a simple bug description so I think the replay system is also essential to delivering a polished product. Yeah, I think that makes sense from the perspective of like doing like budgeting and time management for for a like a double A mid sized product. Like from the beginning, there's multiple business cases for like why you want to have a replay system, why you want to be able to do this just for your development team as well as for um, for the players on the other end of it. Um, but that, this actually kind of comes back to one of my recent um, bugbears with, uh, with RTS design. Like, uh, there's a lot of conversations that are out there that go into, you know, what could this game have done better? You know, what about their systems wasn't good? How could they have designed their, you know, combat or economy pacing? Um, and I, I think that that kind of, it's all very important. It's all very important. But I, I think what kills as many games as having design issues like that is production issues. Mm. You know, you, you, you see games run up against their own um, aspirations a lot, and even honestly, even with Age of Empires Four, I think a lot of that um, probably comes down to time budget as much as anything. And as much as we all like to say, you know, a developer, you know, take as much time as you need. You know, the the players will be here when it's ready. Um, you know, sometimes there's just not money. I mean, 
Age of Empires, sure, but I think sometimes there's just not money for a developer to keep trying to to iterate on things and a good plan from the outset. Um, I think that's that's worth its weight in gold. And someone who could keep the game moving, like the the production schedule moving on on track. Um, yeah, and the production problem is actually very very serious. Um, reason being, there is no central engine for RTS games. Uh, there is no simple Unreal project that you can just load up and, oh, you've got yourself RTS basics. No, you have to make everything yourself. Um, and uh, Unreal might not be the easiest thing to do it in. Frost Giant is doing it, but like uh, with the support of Epic Games. <laughs> there's there's going to be uh, hurdles there for them to overcome, and I'm sure they can do it. Uh, but your indie studio is not going to be able to do that. Why? Because they probably haven't done it before. In, in fact, most indie studios... Uh, jump into RTS games, try to make their own thing in uh, Unity or Unreal, and they're going to have a lot of problems. They're going to be doing it for the first time, which means that whenever they try to figure out their um, production pipeline, uh, they won't be able to estimate their tasks. And and, and that's why production hell can happen. Uh, They'll not have the ability to follow their plan. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. I, I think we're gonna get some interesting cases coming up. I think this year, if not this year, next year, with a lot of these indie projects that that we see kind of hitting a a playable or a publicly playable um, point, because we've got global conflagration. That one's a mouthful. Global conflagration, <laughs> GC, um, getting ready. I think to do another test, and we've got liquidation that has kind of stopped and started a couple times, but it's kind of been going full steam for a while. Um, and a lot of these other kind of, I don't know the size of Godsworn, but I think their team is kind of smaller too. Um, yeah, two people. So we, we see a lot of teams that are coming out. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens with them from a, from a quality assurance standpoint, because like you, like you said, that kind of, that first step, that first hurdle is a technical challenge of just making the thing function. Um, and we saw, I think some of Iron Harvest's problems might have might have come from there as well. Um, just with the, the pathfinding and the um, all of those various kind of base level technical issues. Um, shoot, I guess it'll be interesting from, from my perspective to see what people say about um, Tempest Rising later this year. Um, yeah, I'll be playing. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be playing. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe we'll set up some co-cast or something for that. that that's going to be great. But yeah, guys, Tempest Rising is something you should absolutely check out. Wayward is the lead game designer on that. Um, links are definitely in the chat and uh, will be in the description as well. Thank you. <laughs> um... Yeah, and we've also got um, War Pause on the horizon. And, I mean, there's a, a ton. There's all these people putting out videos of, like, you know, of like 40 upcoming strategy, like, real-time strategy and tactics games. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of studios putting out a lot of work, which is interesting from a research perspective as well as from, um, you know, a, hey, cool, more games perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, RTS is absolutely on the rise now uh, when it comes to 
the sheer amount of games that are coming out. Uh, but when it comes to multiplayer, um, I'm personally not so confident, to be completely honest with you. Uh, I We haven't seen anything of Homeworld 3, for example. Uh, very much a single-player-focused franchise, historically speaking. Do you think they'll be attempting something in the space of multiplayer? I personally doubt it. Although they are Steam page says they will. Um, so I expect them to have multiplayer. I'm not sure about what sort of a focus multiplayer will have for them. Um, kind of like Deserts of Karak actually um, is kind of in a similar position. They had multiplayer. It was there. Uh, it was perfectly serviceable, but it really wasn't the focus. The focus of Deserts of Karak was the story. Um, and I, that's what I would expect to see from from Homeworld 3. Mm. Um, my, my guess is that they're big enough to say, well, let's launch with a good single-player experience, let's launch with a baseline level of multiplayer, and see what our sales do. If we get, if we get enough um, income from, from this, we can start talking about planning out like seasons or something. Um, that's some sort of expanded offering, but so that's what I would, that's what I would expect to see. Um, just based on kind of where Gearbox seems to be doing like, and also the, just the example of what they did with, um, what they did in the first place with, um, Deserts of Correct. And honestly, more power to them, like Crossfire Legion had a, had a really rough launch, but they're still producing content for it. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to turn it around. It would be the success story of the century, <laughs> maybe at RTS if they did. Um, but good on them for for uh, you know. They're certainly trying, and now. I think they made something like you said that is serviceable. Uh, the, the foundation is there; uh, they can expand the game as they see fit. Uh, but they need the players. Like, there's no players in that game, and it's so multiplayer-focused. Uh, they, they marketed their esports and didn't perhaps market their single-player enough. Um, and, and so the message just never came. Yeah, I, there's been so much conversation about Crossfire Legion in general, and I do think, like based on our topic, that's probably the one of the key examples to pick. Like, Clearly, they wanted a big multiplayer presence. Clearly, they, they were building towards that. Um, and was the issue not enough marketing? Was the issue uh, a weird early access launch? Was, I, don't, I honestly don't know. There's been so much conversation about it and so many speculations. Um, you know, I've been following it since it was announced. And... I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what the like to, to point at something and say this is what they they did wrong. This is what they could have done better. Um, I mean, clearly a a better first impression would have gone a long way. But I, I don't know if that that was the thing that needed to be changed. Um, you know, their their store label certainly didn't do them any favors right in the beginning. But anyone who took any time to get into the game at all would very quickly realize that that it wasn't like a cash stop, um, even though kind of it had the trappings of maybe having been one at one point or having been planned at one point. Um, but yeah, that one's a weird one to me because 
you know, the, the animations are good. Mm-hmm. There are some interesting f- concepts. Um, the economy in the still actually is pretty rough, but um, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like people are trying it and then bouncing off. It seems like no one's trying it in the first place. Um, so it's hard for me to say like, okay, get your economy straight, get your tech trees, because I think people aren't getting to that point. They're not, they're not getting into it to, to play it and say, I don't, I don't like the economy or the tech tree. Do you think there might be um, something visual about the game that offsets uh, um, people's expectations that, oh, this looks like StarCraft and CNC uh, melded into one. And I'd rather just play StarCraft and CNC. <laughs> um, I've heard that from the perspective of people who have played it. Um, I think from screenshots personally, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm not the right, the right audience because I grew up, you know, when, when I was a kid, um, you know, Warcraft three, I remember articles in PC gamer about how many polygons units in Warcraft three had. So <laughs> like five. <laughs> I, well, yeah, but it was like, it was like, I was like, wow, there's like what a hundred polygons in the whole unit. That's amazing. Um, so you know that like I was an adult already when Warcraft mm-hmm. Three came out, and you know so I, I look at the, the a screenshot from um, Crossrail Legion and it looks perfectly serviceable to me. It looks you know it's got some you know good colors, good unit shapes. Oh, going I mean, on. it is pretty. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Maybe people saw it and they were like, "Well, this looks like a mobile game," because you always hear that from people. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't know I. I don't know if it's that it's not showing well, or maybe not enough people knew about it. I, yeah, that's that's that one's a big mystery to me because, um, you know they they kind of hit all those boxes. You know, there's all those videos and articles that came out um, last year that everyone was talking about. Um, you know, they've got the co-op, they've got the the mod tools, they've got all the you know kind of like we want these things in a game, and nobody came. Um, and as a as a designer, I, I have some thoughts about like the play experience, but I really think people are are bouncing off of it before they get to that point very much. Um, even during the free weekend, you know, they they didn't get into like thousands of players concurrently. That yeah, I they recall. didn't. Think, no. Um, so it's just that like people aren't. Again, it wasn't that people are coming and bouncing off. It's just that they're not interested in showing up at all. And you know, these, these um, medium-sized RTS games on release, uh, like, I don't know, Homeworld Deserts of Crack or Spellforce Free, like, these were creeping up to the 10,000s um, on their release week. And, and, and then they had a massive decline as the single-player uh, players finished their campaigns and moved on to the next thing. Uh, but that's just not the case with Crossfire Legion. Even though it does have this uh, single-player experience in it, which is, you know, it's fine. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it's there. And it's a serviceable game, like you said, that looks good. Um, the players never came. So it's a mystery. And I'm I'm sure uh, the people yeah, well, so- that are responsible for business development there will be looking into the uh, specifics of what has happened. Yeah, so from from my perspective, when I'm trying to do like a larger analysis of the, the strategy game landscape or the RTS landscape in particular, I almost cut that out of my equations like entirely because I, I just don't know what to do with it. Um, like 
by every reasonable measure, it, it should have seemed to have been set up to do reasonably well. Um, and I, yeah, that one, that one's a, a really weird one for me. Yeah, um, you, you know, actually, I'd like to draw a comparison here because Stormgate's marketing is actually not too dissimilar, but they have a huge advantage. Um, Frost Giant has, uh, which is their own legacy uh, um, games, StarCraft Two, Warcraft Three. Yeah, that's that's giants, and yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, I think the that's a good. Of those games are gonna latch onto them. It, it, so even though they're kind of doing similar things while also pushing Call of way heavier um, in comparison in their marketing, although it's similar, it ha- it's going to have a completely different end result, I think, just because they have this massive community eyeing them from far away and, uh, yeah, and participating I think, in these early discussions. I think that's going to help them. Clearly, I mean, clearly, it seems to be doing... like They, they seem to be reasonably good at generating discussion and buzz and interest um so yeah i think the the kind of star power the the design and development star power they have behind the game um is doing them well um as someone interested in the game it's kind of frustrating because we keep hearing all these things about what it's going to be and what it what it is and and there was the video uh, interview where the guy went and played it. Um, but without seeing anything, it just, it just kind of this endless build up. Um, yeah, that doesn't do anything I'm not for sure. me either. <laughs> it's a little awkward, right? To talk about that because what are we talking about? We don't know. Right, yeah. So we're we're talking about the the promise and the idea and the hope and yeah. you know we're we're kind of our our brains are filling in the gaps there, um, which is is a little tricky to to deal with um, in terms of like what to expect and and um, you know what the product is going to be. But I, I think it's going to serve them well to get eyes on their thing when it's ready to be shown. Um, and they're doing a good job, I think, of of releasing information to the point at the frequency where people aren't going to forget about them. Yeah, they're certainly um, great at keeping up the mind share. There's no problem with that. Yeah, and it's it's great for them because they can just go on, you know, somebody's some big streamer or something, and, and just you know, kind of have a, a captive audience there. So I, I think that's that's a great situation to be in. Honestly, for a developer, where you can like talk to an audience and and capture eyeballs and and mind share uh, almost whenever you want, um, and I think a lot of developers would love to be in their in their shoes to say, you know, hey everybody, you know, if this is what we're doing. Don't forget about us. So yeah, I think they're they're in a great a great spot. Another interesting one that I think should be brought up is. The Great War, Petroglyph's new game. Um, that is, I think, a large degree what we're talking about. You know, they're doing this big, sprawling, single-player thing. They've got a little bit of name rec- recognition. I don't know how many people out there in the larger world care about Pet- Petroglyph, but you know, a lot of us have seen a lot of Petroglyph games, and we we know the name. Um, 
actually that that is an interesting kind of sidebar. So one thing I think the Great War has going for it is recognition, not necessarily of the studio, but of the topic of the game. Mm. You know, historical games, they're going to have a slightly different audience. It's not just going to be gamers. It's also people interested in that era of history. So I think the Great War stands a decent chance of drawing eyeballs just because it's a historically accurate World War I game focusing on an important aspect of World War I, which is trench warfare. Um, it's a very hard to people... name as well. Like It, it really captures uh, your attention immediately, and you'll know what, what people are talking about um, in, in terms of setting expectations for it. And you know, they're seemingly delivering on it, so yeah, looking forward to see where that goes. Yeah, definitely. And you know, from what the perspective of what we're talking about, I think it's going to be interesting. And actually, because Petroglyph already tried to do something like this, and I don't know exactly how well it went. They did their their um, Conan, um, they are billions like game. Um, so they've already kind of had this this expectation or this experience rather with trying to do a single-player kind of repeatable content um, experience. And it'd be interesting to see if they learned from that and if they hit their target. I'm just assuming, because uh, I've heard kind of mediocre things about their um, Conan game. You know, if this does better, if this is more focused, if this is if they learned from that to create a good single-player game. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's many examples as well in the uh, in the genre that they're going for. So um, you know, hopefully there's going to be some pretty good competitive analysis to uh, base things on, and then improving the larger uh, scale formula that that you can see in the industry. I'm I'm certainly thinking that these guys can execute. Uh, there's not a problem with that. It's just, are they going to have the time? Uh, to get everything done that's necessary for that. My big question with Petroglyph games is usually the quality assurance. Um, like testing and, and um, kind of getting the rougher edges smoothed out. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens with that because this is a, a big game and a lot of their a lot of their recent games have been kind of smaller um, you know with with Forge Battalion and 8-Bit Armies and um, you know their last really decent sized game was Grey Goo uh, and I think potentially this is going to have a, a much denser like in terms of content it's going to be denser um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of where that where that shakes out um, but again I think with Stormgate, they had the familiarity of the name and of the people creating it and of the, the clear audience that they're trying to draw. And with Petroglyph, I think also they've kind of got this built-in safety net that is a recognizable era of history. And it's you're going to have kind of an audience built in there too. So I, I anticipate both of those games doing at least passively well for themselves. Um and that's something else interesting to think about when we're talking about, you know, you've got a smaller studio and you're trying to focus where the development is going to go. 
something that people already know about, something that people already have a picture about in their head and and can, you know, all, maybe already kind of be, find appealing, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, that gives you a leg up over, you know, trying to build all of this from scratch, which all of us mm. are trying to do anyway. Um, any sort of little leg up of like, I recognize this. That can that can help. Um, are you, are you saying that they should be building a franchise out of it? Um, so that that's why I like the example of the Great War because there's not a World War One franchise, sure, right? Sure. It, well, it's, it's just license, it's so. something. <laughs> it's it's something that has an existing fan base, sort of, or an existing group of interested people, um, and that can. You know, having something recognizable, um, I think, can help. You know, if if you've got, um, what was the name of that game? It was the Black Chain? Do you remember that little indie RTS Black Chain? It was basically like StarCraft, and they had this heat sink mechanic. Afraid not, because you were using. So it was this tiny little RTS on Steam called Black Chain, B L A C K C H A I N, and it was basically functionally like StarCraft. But it had this this thing where you're like crypto mining as one of the resources, uh, and you had to manage the heat of the uh, generated by the crypto miners, <laughs> and that was like, like a core component of the game. Um, but like one of the reasons something like that might fly under the radar is it just looks like knockoff StarCraft. Um, but I don't know. I don't that know. Is I kind actually of lost the train of what I'm. <laughs> it actually, I, and it wasn't my favorite game, but it, I didn't. I wasn't sad that I bought it. Um, I think I've seen on Reddit when people were posting in the r slash uh, real time strategy Reddit about it. Uh, <laughs> love the blockchain blockchain joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, and I, I keep coming back to. Uh, to Five Nations too, because that got, as far as I know, got a really great reception, and it's kind of like it plays like StarCraft, but it's all looks like it's in space on a two D plane. Um, I heard great things about that, and it's only only single player. Um, I didn't have time to to play it. I think it came out um, right around the time I started working on Tempest Rising, and then a lot of my free time evaporated at that point. Yeah, I was um, very busy at the time as well. They actually pinged me if I want to cover the game, but uh, didn't have the time sadly. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I, I just I feel like, especially recently, we've seen a lot of like really successful single player first or single player entirely RTS. Um, and what we were talking about earlier with the, from the business perspective, you know, it's safer to try to do this, and we've seen it work. Um, but yeah, two multiplayer focused designers talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Why we need to have more single player games? That's that's. Well, well, well you need to. Uh, if you want, to if you want your game to be profitable, uh, you're going to need the masses, and the masses care for the single player. Um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't make a multiplayer, but you have to prioritize uh, your budget somehow. Uh, and first thing first, you have to have a game out there. You have to make profits so that you can keep going. Uh, 
maybe you have enough budget to actually squeeze in that multiplayer um, component, which requires a lot. Uh, it requires absolutely that you must have replace in spectator mode. It requires that you have to have some kind of good connectivity system. Um, the networking should ideally go for for some kind of server architecture. Um, it can be uh, it can be relay servers. Doesn't have to be dedicated servers with the servers themselves running the game. Um, that's super expensive, but relay servers where it's just the commands being sent through servers and verified. Uh, that can reduce the lag factor a lot. If you're going peer to peer, you're probably going to have a bad time. Um, there's some peer to peer systems that kind of work okay, but uh, none of them is great. Um, so this is actually um, going into our next topic pretty well, our past experiences. Uh, with all of these problems or challenges rather for myself I've never been able to work on a game that has really solid networking Uh, and I always touched upon the multiplayer on all the games I worked on so uh, Age of Mythology and Halo Wars 2 and uh, Total War Warhammer Halo Wars 2 was the best out of these in terms of networking uh it's it's got relay server tech, but if there is um, th- if there's a lot of ping lag, essentially a rubber banding mechanic kicks in where the lagging player has to play catch up, and their game goes fast forward, and you can't do any inputs. So that's a really rough time, <laughs> especially if it catches you in the middle of a tournament. Uh, then its custom games don't actually go for this system. That's peer to peer. So if you have a lagging spectator, the players are going to have uh, the laggy experience themselves. Uh, which is problematic for tournament hosting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so so those were massive, massive, massive problems. But still, the games were, largely speaking, focusing on the single-player component, especially uh, Total War Warhammer, which has DLCs being developed uh, for years and years, like if you buy every DLC, <laughs> you're gonna spend more than double of the cost of the base games. <laughs> As, there's a lot of content in there. It, you can bloat the game to be about four times bigger than it is without. Uh, and well, bloat is maybe the wrong word. It's all unique experiences, but that's how hard they're focusing over there. On, on the single-player audience, and it shows it works. I think Total War is probably the core example of what it looks like when a strategy game keeps adding content again and again and, and calling in that single-player audience. The multiplayer audience still benefits from these products, by the way, because they get the new units. They get those new um, lords and heroes and uh, the maps that are associated with these DLCs as well. Uh, but but yeah, it is paid products, and that creates a problem. Uh, when your units are locked behind the paywall, uh, is that fair in multiplayer? That's always been yeah. That's always a, a sketchy topic, a painful topic. Yeah, yeah. That that might be a whole separate topic for us, actually. It might be, <laughs> <laughs> like, because there, there's, and I'm not trying to derail, but there's this really interesting conflict between like you want to let people kind of create their own thing 
and you want it to be fair and balanced and interesting. And find there's the, I don't know I haven't seen anything come close to figuring that out yet, like really figuring that out yet. Um, like, yeah, it is very very tough because these uh, these these small DLCs are <laughs> their their core component is that you're buying units. And I think that might be problematic if you translate that to a multiplayer-heavy RTS game. Uh, it, it, it works out in Total War, sort of, uh, because the multiplayer scene is fairly small. Um, it exists, and it's really active, <laughs> uh, considering its size especially. But yeah, the, the good old 20% hits, and it hits hard. Well, yeah, and I mean... Even the successful, the, the games that have done this successfully have had to be really careful with it. Like Company of Heroes 2, technically, you have the commander system that lets you, you know, cycle in new features and new units. Um, but they had a real problem. I think it was right around the time Arden's Assault released, um, where people were really upset about their, their um, kind of meta level systems and they kind of redid the whole thing to give you the kind of the currency that you could earn from playing and allow the player to to purchase the stuff with the currency and even that was kind of a band-aid uh the game's fine now i think possibly in spite of that issue um and they had something similar with with dawn of war 3 actually where it launched with some sort of um currency unlocking system and then they kind of one of the, the only patches they managed to get out was, was them removing that entirely. Um, Age of Empires Online famously launched with a system where you had the you unlocked your tech tree over time by playing. Yeah. So I remember ladder I remember ladder matches where I couldn't hit tier three. Oh I couldn't my God. get to the you you couldn't you couldn't age up. Or you could, but you didn't really get anything from it. So people were fighting me with elephants and I didn't have access to anything that was like designed to fight them. Um and eventually they replaced that with just a cosmetic system. Um, but the early stages of that were really, really painful. Um, and yeah, even, for sure. even Forge, Forge Battalion, where you just kind of played to unlock stuff. Nobody wanted to play. They, would, they found like these sneaky ways to like unlock <laughs> all the stuff as fast as you could. And you know, I, I don't think that ever hit any decent number of concurrent players. So... Like I, I don't know. I'm. Yeah, I've really never seen that done very here. successfully. Um, but yeah, for for Total War, I think the strong point of it is that you're selling ca- content that works in the campaign uh, by itself. You're essentially getting a new way to play the campaign because you get an entire faction out of it, a, a sub faction of an existing faction. That's a Lord Pack, they call it. Um, and then there's the units in there. That's a strong selling point of it. Sure, it hurts the multiplayer environment in terms of monetization uh, and, and how that looks, but but the single-player um, enjoyers really get to benefit there um, as the game is going to be constantly supported while this is going on. It's con- constantly yeah, going to feel fresh. You're going to fight these even if you don't own them. <laughs> then you own them and, oh, look at me, new toys. <laughs> that seems to be the safe way to handle it, right? Where you're releasing single-player content to help support an existing multiplayer community and keep people kind of coming back 
anyway. Um, the the games that have managed to maintain a decent multiplayer community um, tend to do that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but... um, Halo Wars Two has a different kind of model, so. That was funny. Uh, actually, like the base game released, and there were six leaders. So that's two factions, and then uh, within each there were three sub factions. And then we started adding multiplayer only DLCs. Well, multiplayer only. You could still play against AI, but you know, normal skirmish games and multiplayer, like multiplayer focused. Yeah, very multiplayer focused. So I think that might be not the best way to go about it because who are going to be your target audience? The twenty percent. If you really are being generous, then you can expand that a bit. Uh, um, let's say some of those single-player people are interested in that versus AI experience, 1v1, uh, 1v3, whatever, you name it. There's, there's definitely people like that. So let's say we slap on double. That's still only half of the single-player player base. I think that's brutal. Um, and almost all of the support of Halo Wars 2 was uh, focused on that. And then finally, there was a campaign pack. Uh, it was only two missions, but still, that was still uh, padded out with, with, a, with a multiplayer-focused leader. And then the last one, that was the big one. That was a real expansion with several missions, cinematics uh, that were done by Blur Studios. Very impressive, for sure. I had two of these leaders that were also appearing in the campaign along with their powers and everything. So I think that would have been the way to do things. Do that less often, uh, but keep doing that single-player content that people actually want to buy. Uh, I, I think they're, uh, right after that, by the way, um, game support was cut. I'm going to make a video on this very shortly, um, going into the details, but I, I, I think that's a large problem of where Halo Wars 2 went, uh, trying to go way too hard on that multiplayer and forgetting uh, the single player. And I love that you know, we did those leaders. Uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Uh, I think they're a good addition, but there should have been some content for the single player fans. Yeah. Um, so, two two things. One thing um, Company of Heroes 2 did that I thought was was interesting i actually really liked it they had a, a mode or still have i guess technically a mode called theater of war and it was these single player some of them were multiplayer some of them were co-op scenarios that were these little like it wasn't really a mini campaign it was because it was just one level i think some of them might have had two or three levels um but it was this this kind of relatively quick to release um single-player co-op or multiplayer content. And I thought it was neat, because it was just this cool little, like, every month or so, you got a new one for a while. And then once they did Arden's Assault, it was kind of like, oh, people really like this. Um, but I, I liked that that idea, where you've got these little kind of bite-sized, playable, um, almost challenge missions um, that kind of had like a little bit of a story element to them. Um <clears throat> And also with uh, Ashes of the Singularity, they, at one point, they released a couple of multiplayer units, and along with it, they released a, a challenge scenario focused on the new units. So you got to kind of play around. It was like specifically like, here, use these units and see what they do. 
Um, so I have seen studios kind of take this this single player content and do something interesting with it. That I mean, I don't think they were wildly successful because it, it wasn't done multiple times. Um, and if it if you made a, a decent income with it one time, why not try it again? Um, but I thought it was an interesting experiment anyway. These kind of these smaller form um, single player kind of challenge missions. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So I guess we're starting to get close to the hour mark and we're running out of time. So <laughs> um, I, I think we're going to skip ahead to the part where we attempt to draw on a personal conclusion on on how we see this, but I think we repeated this often enough already, but do you want to just sum it up one more time? Yeah, so I'm going to close kind of with how I opened. Um, to me, as an observer, primarily, um, it seems to be the safest approach to creating a game like this, is if you have a limited budget, if you've got limited resources, it's safer to try to create an interesting, compelling single-player experience that someone can go through and enjoy and remember fondly. Where, you know, if you try to hedge your bets, if you try to be all things to all people, you're going to bite yourself in the butt. Um, it, it's it's going to be too much game for your studio to chew. Um, and there have been successful multiplayer-focused games on a more limited budget, but they seem to me more the exception that proves the rule than kind of a counterfactual. Uh, I love multiplayer. I love seeing it done. Um, it's always my preference to go into something that has multiplayer, but darn it, if we haven't seen a lot of times over and over again where you try to be all things to all people and you you don't hit the target and it, it doesn't go out well. It doesn't go well for you. Um, I don't like that that's my conclusion, but I feel like from what we've seen, that tends to be the way things go. Very good. Thank you very much. Um, as for myself, I'm largely in agreement with you. Um, so multiplayer, simply speaking, requires a lot of effort. It's not easy uh, to get it right. And it, it's not. I'm not just talking about infrastructure anymore and other uh, unrelated items that need to be developed that the single player doesn't need, um, such as specific multiplayer maps and you name it, there's, there's a million things, leaderboards, uh, servers, lots of stuff, uh, progression systems. But you, even though the core game has to be good for multiplayer, if it's not, people will leave, um, even if you do have an initial impact. And I think to get everything right, you simply have to have a lot of resources, and you have to have a recognizable franchise that people will be naturally attracted to. Um, if you don't have that, at, at least one of those must be there. Uh, you must be building a big franchise yourself from the start, or you're already having one. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, one thing that was said that I, I think bears restating is if you're going to commit to multiplayer, you really need to commit to a replay system um, and an observer mode. It's just, you know, when games launch without them, they're, the community demands them uh, anyway. And 
uh, as you said, uh, it can be helpful during development for bug fixing and bug reports to the to the programming team. Yes, um, I've been on both so sides of that also... fence, actually. Uh, Halo Wars 2 <laughs> did not have it, either of them. It was hell. <laughs> uh, Total War, we did, and that was great. It, it, it helped us so much. Like We would have been probably a year behind if that hadn't been the case. Yeah. Having saves and replays for development, mm. please do it. Okay, question from Josier. Do you think SC2 might have been created, might have created a problem in terms of esports? I don't understand the question. So I'm going to answer this. No, I think when people say that a competitive focus or an esports focus has harmed RTS, um, they are not strictly speaking being accurate. I don't think they're there. I'm not interpreting what they're saying is the way I think they're, they're saying it. Um, a lot of what Starcraft two specifically did um, was to, try to create a a system that was fun to watch fun to play and um fun to, with abilities that are fun to use and have used against you now what they did was create a very very tight and precise numerical balance between with, with very specific relationships between a lot of different units the first thing to me is an esports focus the second thing is a specific way to deliver that experience um, so I think people tend to focus on these like really tight numerical, um, matchups and, and relationships. And you see that sort of thing kind of watered down in other RTSs. I, I, I think that might be, I don't know, that doesn't, that's not esports to me. What, what I see these other, these games that don't do as well that have these kind of they, they try to create these these very predictable relationships um that that doesn't seem like esports to me where where it's predictable and low impact and less interesting i i think it might be an attempt to mimic what starcraft did but if so it's not a very accurate one i'd um, like to argue that starcraft 2 is not purely an esports rts uh, it's it's got a huge single player that many many people love, and it's largely speaking what people have bought it for. Uh, the esports scene is very important for StarCraft, absolutely, and it's played a bigger role than for any other RTS, that's for sure. But I think StarCraft wasn't an esports focused game; it was an everything game. They're the one product that has successfully integrated every part of uh, of possible communities into it. It's kind of the halo of RTSs. Well, past Halo. Halo 3 and that kind of era. <laughs> uh, next question. Fun anecdote. Yep, Fun anecdote. My, my kids have, or my oldest son, has played every Halo, and he prefers uh, 3. Out yeah. of all of them. <laughs> it's the classic sentiment. I think everybody does for the most part. Well, it's funny because he, he came to it backwards. He's 11. So yeah. we, he, his friends were all playing Halo Infinite. So we got him Halo Infinite. And then 
they did uh, like Master Chief Collection at a at a party, and and now his all his friends his friend group were all ten and eleven year olds, and they all like Halo Three, which I just, just think is really awesome. It to me it, it um, shows how much it stood the test of time. That is people are coming back to it after all the other ones, um, and they're playing that one. Love it that the young ones like it. <laughs> well, uh, here's the next question: Do you think Warcraft Three can recover their multiplayer loss? Uh, by the early lack of ladder, etc. Question from Botch Maps. I have heard a rumor, and I hope it's true, that they are the Blizzard is trying to like do a big revamp. Uh, I, I don't think it's true, but I hope it's true. Um, if they do that, if they do a big revamp and kind of give everyone everything that they want, maybe. Uh, but based on what I've seen with the updates that they have done, at best, it's going too slow. There, there's, it's way too little, way too late. Yes, they're complete, competing against their own community servers, by the way. Uh, like, y- you guys know, there's this whole thing called Warcraft 3 Champions, and uh, the group that handles that is actually delivering more features faster than the actual developers. So the competitive multiplayer community will be hooking into that. Uh, and, and that severely limits the accessibility of the, of the multiplayer. There's going to be people that play the vanilla game anyway, but this is, a bo- this is a problem, and there is a reason why they're sending out polls about whether people would be interested if they uh, relaunched the game. Which means a massive redevelopment and delivering on their old promises, which they didn't keep, so... Um, you can only hope that that will actually happen. I'd definitely play myself. Uh, question from Sir Liam. Why did SC2 never have new factions? So, another um, person in the chat, uh, SGO, said, do you think the legacy aspect of certain franchises has or can become a problem in terms of limiting what the player base expre- expects? That, I'm pretty sure that that's at least part of the reason why. Um, because you've got StarCraft, StarCraft is StarCraft, StarCraft is these three races. I don't think they could do a StarCraft with a new race. Like, WarCraft <laughs> 3 kind of managed it, but that, that'd be a big lift to add a new faction to, to StarCraft. Yeah, they did it in the campaign, sort of, with the Zelnaga, but mm. putting that into multiplayer... I mean, it's still just Protoss plus Zerg. Um, two of the things I like together. <laughs> Yeah, I think they might be able to do something interesting with like sub factions. I'd love to see some of the the Protoss um, stuff from the campaign come in, and you can do um, like the Purifier Protoss. That but that's what awesome. co op is, though. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. So, so there but, is an environment in there, Liam, which kind of scratches that itch, but it's not in the multiplayer. Well, not in the competitive multiplayer. It's in the co op. And you know what? This probably is going to happen to the Frost Giant game too. They'll... Well, the cool thing about new franchises is you have the ability to create new factions. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if they... Well, I feel like they're already teasing a third faction. They are. Of, they are. Um, in their lore. So I, I think it's, it's coming. And you um, know what? Spellforce 3 works very well with six factions. It's fairly balanced. I know the chat is about to tear me a new one, but the win rates are there. Everyone can beat everyone. Uh, I think it can be accomplished to have six or even seven 
uh, factions. From Dyna11, what are your ideas on modding and or workshop content in terms of longevity for a game? Like you mentioned, the community is taking control and bringing out content faster than developers. Do you think more tools and freedom for the community harms or helps a game? Um, so clearly, I, I think it's it's undeniable that having some sort of integrated development tool for players is is only good. The question is the time and cost. Like it's expensive. It takes a lot of time. Um, tools programming is its own discipline oh, yeah. <laughs> um so i think that's that's you know you, you've got like the you can do a single player game you can add multiplayer you know somewhere in there toward the higher end is adding a um modding tools i think yes if you have the coin to make your own engine with your own tools and uh, then dumb down those tools uh, for safe usage for modders. Then it can be done. Uh, if you're doing Unreal, the modding uh, question becomes uh, a, a tough matter where you have to develop probably, uh, again, separate tools and uh, deliver that. So, which means you wouldn't be gaining much from using something like Unreal. Because you still have to do do the work to make the tools so that's that's a tough thing uh but in in concept absolutely like fan-made content keeps games alive and the more of that power you give to the community uh, the longer your game can live whether they will pick it up or not is a different story you do need a huge community to attract the modding talent you you need a huge pool of players to have the modding talent to begin with. Uh, to uh, <laughs> you know, it's not that often that people can uh, go into the game and and change stuff up and make new things, especially. So you need a large pool to spawn these people, and then you need a lot of players to keep them around. Otherwise, nobody will consume what they make. Um, sadly, I am just about out of time. We are out of time as a whole. Uh, we already went over by 15 minutes. So thank you guys for your questions. YouTube, do the same in the comments. And at the end of the next episode, we'll be covering your questions uh, from the comments here. So, yep. Thanks everyone very much for watching on Twitch and on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe. Follow on Twitch. Follow Wayward everywhere. Um, Everything will be linked in the description and chat. Thanks, guys. Peace out. Thanks, everybody.